0: The sponsor for the month is Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exist for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. They've provided resources for churches since 1982 through conferences, books, the Sword in the Trial podcast, video documentaries, online articles found at founders.org, the quarterly Founders Journal, Bible Studies, International Church Search, and the newly launched seminary-level training program, the Institute of Public Theology. Founders believes that the biblical faith is inherently doctrinal, and they are therefore confessional in their convictions. You can learn more about Founders Ministries and how to partner with them at founders.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at shepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you're doing well. This is episode 170-something. You'll see it in the show notes or in the title itself but I hope you're doing well this morning. Today we're going to be talking about head coverings. Pastors, you've had to work through this, I'm sure at some point, and there seems to be an uptick in people thinking about this and working through this as people take the Bible seriously. They're going to be bumping into, I mean, commandments they're going to be bumping into passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we need to be able to work through that and think through that. And so I've been thinking through that and Recently reading a book about it and just wanted to throw some thoughts out there. Here's the outline and then we'll pray and then just dive right in. So the outline uh, today, what we're looking at is first we're going to start with unacceptable positions when it comes to head coverings, unacceptable positions. Then we're going to look at a range of acceptable positions within just... Orthodox Christianity, okay? So think there's a range of acceptable positions when it comes to eschatology. There's a range of acceptable positions when it comes to who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's also a range of acceptable positions when it comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So we're going to look at that. It is very important on on passages like this that we're not too dogmatic because we end up throwing out a bunch of good and godly people who see things differently on this particular issue or other particular issues. After that, I'm going to lay out my position, where I land, and the reasons that I land there. And I will say up front that Jordan told me as I started to study into this, hey, she said, hey, honey, uh, I will do what you want me to do here, and I'll trust you and lean into your headship here, which is the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, isn't it? So I'm so thankful for a wife that I don't have to feel weird if I say, hey, honey, um, you need to put on a veil, an actual veil to cover your head. And... She would do that 100%, no questions asked, and think, okay, well, then I'll trust you and that's what I'll do. And isn't that the attitude that we should all have when it comes to obeying the commandments of the Lord? If we come to a conclusion in any passage of scripture that, you know, I think this means that, therefore I should do that, then shouldn't we all think, cool, that sounds good to me? That should be our attitude. And that should be the case with head coverings. And if you come to the conclusion, it may be a little bit different than mine, whatever your conclusion is on this, well, then you obey the Lord. And you lean into the leadership, ladies, of your husband on this because, let me tell you, if you get too dogmatic on these issues, then you're going to end up, like I said, looking at people who see see uh, very legitimate reasons, for very legitimate reasons, see this from a different angle. Then you're going to look on it and and, and cast judgment on brothers or sisters. And that's not helpful. So our church, I think, is going to continue to be a dual practice church where you have some ladies that are going to cover their heads with a veil and then others who see the head covering as feminine hair and that being a qualifying uh, head covering. Okay. So let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help. And then pastors, you know, I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to help you as you're navigating things like this within your church and bringing unity because this we can we can unify here. And I think there'll be unity at the end of this episode. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for the opportunity to do this over technology. Thank you that we see so many things that are bad about technology, and still I'm kind of wondering, is the internet a net gain? But I know that this kind of stuff can be helpful in equipping, and you use podcasts and videos to help people and encourage people and even help people be sanctified. And so I pray that this would be helpful, God, as pastors are looking for resources and thinking about things like head coverings, as this begins to gain movements again, gain a movement again, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us think biblically and be wise as we really want to unify our our church and and be unified and and not uh, divide or have any sort of animosity over, over teachings like this. And so just please help us and I trust you all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. First, what are some unacceptable positions on First Corinthians chapter 11? We're going to get into the texts itself here in just a little bit <coughs> but pastors I'm assuming that you're already familiar with First Corinthians 11 and if anybody's listening in here if you don't know what we're talking about just go flip your Bible open you know hit pause and read through First Corinthians chapter 11 starting in verse 2 down through verse 16 and the the primary verses that are in question when it comes to this discussion are verses four and 5. And when we talk about head covering specifically, now this is a uh, this is a patriarchal conversation or a, a strong complementarian conversation. If you're if you're an egalitarian, then you just don't care because you just think, well, that's back then and that doesn't matter. And you're already rejecting a bunch of other scriptures, so why does it matter? Just to reject a bunch more. So this this is a conversation with uh, with patriarchalists. Okay, this is people who believe that God made men and women and that there's a difference there and there's a hierarchy in marriage and in church and in the world and that hierarchy is not a difference in value but it is about a difference in competencies and the way God made us and so that's why we're having this discussion it's a it's an intramural discussion with people who actually care about the Bible. what does the Bible have to say and so egalitarians is just they just it doesn't matter whatever just throw it out progressives of all sorts say well first Corinthians that was then this is now it doesn't matter so uh, it's unacceptable to read first Corinthians chapter 11 and say, head coverings are, are not for today, it doesn't matter, that was then, this is now. That is an unacceptable position. You cannot say head coverings don't matter, or head coverings are not for today, because they are, they absolutely are. Okay, They're absolutely for today, and the question is going to become, and where some people disagree, is how are they for today? And what qualifies as a head covering according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Now recently, I've read up on John MacArthur, who has a different position than the, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Gardner, I just read this book here, and this is a book that has gained speed and gained in popularity, popularity and he lays out a really compelling case in this book. There are a few things that I, I disagree with, but there's so much to commend about this book, and uh, I'll, I'll lay out a couple of my questions that I have here in just a little bit, that I don't think he did a very sufficient job answering. I think he misses a lot of the big picture of First Corinthians, and I think he, uh, he stretches a couple things about, um the head coverings in the Lord's Day gathering. So we'll get to that. So unacceptable positions is that is the person or anyone who says head coverings aren't for today, that was then, this is now. That's, that's unacceptable. So now we get to the question, does it have to be a cloth covering or like the veil, actual piece of cloth on a woman's head or is feminine hair, does that qualify? And that's where the, the people who all believe in head coverings come to differing standings, okay? So now, let's look at a range of acceptable positions that we can look at a brother or sister and say, okay, that's cool, I can respect that and I can honor that, even though I may disagree with that. We'll see a range of acceptable positions. Now, within this range of acceptable positions, we're gonna end up with John MacArthur. There are men that are godly men that, that believe that feminine hair qualifies as a head covering. Dr. Dr. Sproul, R.C. Sproul, believed that the veil has to be, it can't be just feminine hair or long hair, it has to be an actual piece of cloth. But here's what you'll find, and I think one of the most compelling cases actually about this book is his historical argument, more than even his exe- exegetical argument. I think the bigger case that he makes in this is that uh, with the rise of feminism, which we all loathe, we hate feminism, with the rise of feminism, also you see a correlating uh, decline of head coverings because that ended up becoming um, a place of rebellion, which is some of the things that are happening in, in, in the city of Corinth, by the way. And so with the rise of feminism, you see the decline of head coverings as a veil, which is a very compelling case. But there are people that are not beholden to culture that hate feminism, like John MacArthur, like Douglas Wilson, that do not believe that a veil has to be a cloth, a piece of cloth. Okay? Now, it doesn't make somebody right or wrong because our heroes are the people that we really like, you know, do or do not require hair coverings or believe that this is an actual veil. But there, there is, what I'm saying is, a range here that we need to acknowledge where there are really godly men who really disagree with this. And there is a historical pras- practice and precedent that was that's pretty, pretty huge that says the head covering has to be a piece of cloth. But there are many people, many people that say that feminine hair qualifies, okay? And we'll get to some of that again, like I said. Okay, so a range of acceptable positions. Here we go. This is a range. Men, <clears throat> excuse me, a head covering can equal a veil of some sort over feminine hair or over long hair. Just long hair doesn't qualify either, I don't think. I think it needs to be uh, beautified that, that magnifies the woman's glory, <laughs> So for a woman to have unkept hair with a veil on top actually violates what Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is getting at anyways. You still should have beautified hair. It shouldn't just be raggedy hair with a veil on top. Boom. So a veil of some sort on top of feminine hair. Or secondly, that feminine hair qualifies as a covering. So the the, the verses in question are verse 4 and 5. Here's verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies... With his head, head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it was, the sa- it was the same as if her head were shaven. So she has long hair and, in verse 5, she has a veil. Long hair and a veil. So I, I think because it's like her head was shaven, um, she is actually wearing her hair underneath the veil. Just, just wearing it in a masculine way, long hair in a masculine way or an unkept way, like a man would, is, is not good but she's clearly wearing a veil but then in verse 14 it says nature itself teaches you that if a man wears long hair it's a disgrace to him but if a woman has long hair it is her glory for her hair is given to her for a covering an explicit statement and then you'll see that well there's a difference between the greek word for this instance of covering and the other instance of covering talking about the cloth veil and that's absolutely true but does that mean that because they are different things a veil is different than hair but When it explicitly says hair is given to her for a covering, there are a group of people that say, see, hair qualifies as a covering. So there's a range here. The two acceptable positions are that a veil of some sort underneath, uh, on top of feminine hair, it qualifies or is the head covering, or feminine hair itself is a head covering. And I, like I said, I think in our church, we're going to have dual practice. We're going to have some that believe that there's a veil, there's a veil required. We already do have women in our church that are doing that. And, and hopefully, prayerfully, their husbands and wives are praying about this. And the husband has come to the conclusion and the wife isn't doing something in opposition to her husband. That itself would be a violation of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because, again, these, there is this range of acceptable positions here. Um, and then there's going to be people in our church that see feminine hair qualifying as a head covering. Then what about hair length? When we talk about creation itself, because the, the bookends of, of this section in 1 Corinthians 11 are, are the creation order, how God created men and women. So the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God, hierarchy, headship. And at the end, verse 14 through 15, creation. Creation itself teaches us. Nature itself teaches us. So the bookends of this section is creation itself with cultural application in the middle. Okay, so creation on the bookends and then that cultural appropriation in the middle. So... There's a range of acceptable positions also on hair length, okay? So here's what I would say about this, and this is another part of the discussion not specifically that we're, that we're not specifically looking at today, but it is within the discussion. So the, the range of acceptable positions, men should not have long hair and women should have long hair, or men should have masculine hair, women should have feminine hair. There are going to be some people that come to the conclusion that men cannot have long hair and you cannot wear long hair in a masculine way ever in any way and that women should always wear long hair, and that you cannot a woman cannot have short hair and look feminine in any way. That's an acceptable position. Then, there are some that say men can have long hair in a masculine way and obey this command, and that women can have short hair in a feminine way and obey this command. And there are going to be people within our church that both hold both of those positions. And it's important for us to understand And Romans 14, this thing, where we are convinced in our own mind, but we're gracious with each other who see things differently. There's going to be a temptation here to say that those who have the cloth veil and those who have long, women who have long hair and the men who have short hair are holding more tightly to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we don't need to be prideful if that's you. And if it's the opposite, where you're the one who has long hair, a man who has longer hair, trying to wear it in a masculine way, we, we shouldn't make each other feel less than or greater than, or you believe the, the scriptures in the righter way and the other they believe it in the wronger way. we got to be gracious with each other. So these are the ranges within, uh, within the church that are going to be acceptable positions. And we have to agree, like I said, on the head coverings, but we're not going to all agree on the application of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, so now, what's my position and why? What is my position and why? First, First, I want to start with a couple questions that I have that lead me to really wonder, is the veil required at all times and all places? And it says, if anyone is to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches. I don't want to be contentious in any way. But I do want to be obedient, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And again, I'm not coming at this with pressure from my wife or cultural pressure. I could literally care less what anybody thinks about me, my wife, or our church. It's it's, it's nothing to do about that. But I have a couple questions because specifically this veil or head covering is to be worn, we're told, uh, when praying and prophesying. Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. And what this book argues is that... Um, And it comes from, let's see, um, right in uh, chapter 12, what he argues in this book is that that prayer and prophecy is shorthand for coming together as the body, the assembled church, okay? But when we talk about, for instance, later in the chapter, the Lord's Supper, we get the verses in in verse 17, uh, because when we come together, it's not for the better or for the worse. Paul could have said when we come together, but he doesn't say when we come together. He specifically mentions two things about when we come together. And so I don't accept that when we talk about prayer and prophecy, that this is just a shorthand for the whole assembly. It's a part of... The gathered church when we come together, but it's not just the when we come together the whole time from start to finish. This is something specifically that the ladies in Corinth were required to wear when praying or prophesying. Now, the other question I have is that a majority of people who believe that the veil is a covering, it has to be a veil, are cessationists. Okay? A majority of, not all, but a majority are cessationists that I found. And, And already then, we're talking about prophecy, and those who are arguing many who are arguing that the, it has to be a veil to be a quali- qualifying head covering, are also arguing that prophecy's done away with, that we don't prophesy anymore, that there is no prophecy anymore, leaving only prayer in the gathering as a, as a qualifying activity for women to cover, and then we have to ask, okay, when is there public prayer in the in the church gathering? that a woman is going to be praying publicly and needing to have this symbol of authority. And in many gatherings, the prayer is happening not in the bookends, not in the, in the actual litur- liturgy itself. We have corporate prayer when everybody's praying to themselves, but we don't have everybody playing, praying in public. A lot of the pr- prayer is happening before and after the service where people are praying and counseling each other and encouraging one another, that kind of thing. So there are a lot of questions I have that are not addressed in this, because it's just the assumption that it's the whole Lord's Day gathering that a woman should be wearing this, this physical veil. So there are questions that I have, and that was one of the ones that just came and, and, and reoccurred to me. Now, also, John MacArthur has this statement that makes me wonder and makes me and keeps me from being dogmatic about my position either way. Here, here's what John MacArthur says, and I just want you to read this. And again, John MacArthur is not a guy beholden to culture. He told Beth Moore to go home. He doesn't care what people think about him. I mean, he's preaching in, uh, in, in the middle of California about the biblical sexual ethic and saying that sodomites are going to hell and that there's no such thing as gay marriage, he really doesn't care what the people around him think. So when he writes this, um, he's not beholden to feminism. He loathes feminism. He's not beholden to anything else. And yet, here's what it says. This is from his commentary, okay? Okay. It seems therefore that Paul is not stating a divine divine universal requirement but simply acknowledging a local custom the local christian custom however reflected the divine principle this is the bookends of the creation order in the argument in 1 corinthians chapter 11 in corinthian society a man praying or prophesying with his head un- with his head covering covering was a sign of authority over women where a man's praying or prophesying without a head covering was a sign of authority over women who were expected to have their heads covered in these ministries Consequently, for a man to cover his head would be a disgrace because it suggested a reversal of the proper relationship. Disgraces her head could refer to her own head, but literally, and to her own head literally, and to her husband's head metaphorically. In Paul's day, numerous symbols were used to symbolize the woman's subordinate relationship to men. Now, isn't that? I mean, that alone tells you that that you know MacArthur here is not, again, beholden to culture. He's saying a woman's subordinate relationship to men, which is the case. doesn't mean that men and women are unequal, and particularly to wives, to husbands. Usually the symbol was in form of a head covering, and in the Greek-Roman world in Corinth, the symbol apparently was a veil of some kind. In many uh, Near East countries today, a married woman's veil still signifies that she will not expose herself to other men and that her beauty and charms are reserved entirely for her husband that she does not care to be noticed by other men. Similarly, in the culture of the first century in Corinth, wearing a head covering while ministering or worshiping was a woman's way of stating her devotion and submission to her husband and of demonstrating her commitment to God. Now, it seems, however, that some women in the Corinthian church were not covering their heads while praying or prophesying. Okay, so th- this is his argument. And let me back up and read this. When a man, when Paul says a man disgraces his head... um. Well, you guys get the point. I'll put this in the uh, in the show notes. But but he goes on to say that the the primary point is the created order that's out of balance in Corinth, and you see that by the appeal to creation before the veil and, and head covering argument, and after the veil and head covering argument. Okay, so here, here's my position. I believe that hair, that feminine hair, long hair in particular of a woman and kept hair qualifies as an abiding head covering beyond just prayer and prophecy. Certainly it's there in prayer and prophecy, but I think it also qualifies as the head covering beyond that. And every time my wife goes out into the city, every time that she goes out into uh to, to get groceries or wherever she goes, she is showing that she is embracing herself as a woman. She is not wearing her hair in a masculine way. She's not rejecting her gender. She's very much embracing her gender, which I think is a problem in Corinth. Now, I'm going to break down what I think Jeremy misses here, and I think he misses what's going on in Corinth as a whole. Okay, Here's what's going on in Corinth as a whole. In chapter, chapter 5, verse 1, what we find is that there is a man who is sleeping with his father's wife, and the church is not only approving it, they're encouraging it. They're not even disciplining it. They're just letting it go on. And Paul says, you're arrogant about it. That somehow or another, this became a symbol of freedom in Christ, the sexual freedom that they think they have, is a problem in Corinth. It's awful. In chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, we find out that there are former adulterers and homosexuals in the church. So there are former adulterers, so they, they messed up what marriage is all about, what sex is all about, and former homosexual sodomites that didn't understand what even how even sex worked at all, or even gender worked at all. And then they had been saved out of that, but they were still there. They were still present. In chapter 6, later on in that same chapter, in verse 15 and 16, it seems like the cult prostitute, religious prostitution, was still an issue within the church because Paul has to say, you can't join with a prostitute. And if there's a command correcting this problem of, I mean, connecting with a prostitute, then it seems like this is an issue that's being dealt with within the church. Could you imagine within the church, like there's an issue of, of uh, prostitution in the church as a religious practice? And so that's addressed. In chapter 7, then, Paul has to explain how marriage and sex works. He has to say that the man has authority over the woman, and the woman actually has authority over the man when it comes to the marriage bed. And that they're only to come apart for a season, or Satan will tempt them. So Paul has to literally lay out, here's how sex works, because they didn't know how sex worked in Corinth. In chapter 11 then, men and women are confused about the creation order itself. That's why Paul has to give them commands about creation and how men and women are made and how subordination works and how authority works. And they just didn't know. And in fact, they didn't know down to the degree that apparently men were wearing their hair long and in feminine ways and women were wearing their hair short and, and unkept and were not embracing their womanhood. And then it culminates in chapter 16 where Paul actually has to say men act like men because they weren't. The men were not acting like men. They had to be told act like men. So with all the questions that surround the exclusive veil position and then others who have and hold my brothers and sisters people in the same church, I mean that I pastor who hold the position that the head covering is exclusively the veil. Um, so they're going to say, well, there's questions that, around what I just laid out. And certainly there are. But I think feminine hair is given as an acceptable and abiding cross-cultural head covering. And I think this is what the church in Corinth and the people in Corinth were rejecting. They were rejecting the created order. They didn't know what it meant to be a man. They didn't know what it meant to be a woman. Voila, it sounds like today. It was like there was gender confusion. In fact, I wrote an article about this a few years ago and even built a sermon series with this being the jumping point to the sermon series about the confusion of gender. I mean, Corinth is the closest city that we have today, have to what we're facing today. They have this gender confusion all the way through it. They have this sex confusion all the way through it. They have this marriage confusion all the way through it. And so Paul's like, Wear a veil of authority over your head, okay? Have your hair and the veil. It's like you need this doubly to be able to show the submission here. So I think in Corinth it was a veil. I think there was a veil. However, I think here in First Corinthians chapter 11, for her hair given to her as a covering does not just demonstrate the veil as needed as a covering. I think the veil actually demonstrates the other way around, the created order. And so when a woman is walking in her femininity, embracing that as a wife, and visualizing that as a wife, not talking back to her husband in public, speaking about him with honor, walking out in the city as a woman, wearing dresses occasionally for goodness sake, embracing her or her womanhood, looking pretty as she goes out, that is a veil of authority on her. And it's abiding, it's not just in prayer and prophecy, it's everywhere. So anyways, that's where I've come to land, and I know my friends, I mean, my friends Brian and Lexi disagree with that. Uh, I mean, there there are many people in our church that disagree with that. Zach and Cheyenne disagree with that, and uh, I think Riley and Margo, my friends, disagree with that. Uh, a lot of people who have read this book think, well, no, that's more convincing than, the, than what you just laid out. I'm okay with that. I really am. Um, okay, I think I have some final notes here. Um, the commission here, yeah, okay. Embrace your gender, all right? embrace authority and submission in marriage. Don't run from that. That's what the church in Corinth was doing. They were running from authority and submission. That's what people do today. They hate hierarchy. They hate it. Feminists just loathe hierarchy. We should embrace it as Christians. Ladies, don't keep unkept hair. Men, don't wear your hair in a feminine manner. Ladies, wear it feminine and beautiful as it could possibly be. Men, be the head of of your wife that you were called to be. You're the head of the head of your wife no matter what you think about it. You've got to be that, that head. And model that, pastors. Pastors and wives and pastors' wives don't model rebellion against God's created order like in Corinth. I mean, pastor's wife, if you're listening in, don't model rebellion to the people within the church, to the ladies within the church. Um, the symbol in Corinth, like I said, I think was a physical head covering. You guys get it. Okay, if there's any other questions, please uh, write... Thanks so much for coming back. Subscribe if you're watching on Gab TV. Share this. Uh, leave a comment. Um, I think I covered the bases. I think I covered what I wanted to cover. It's uh, so it's not really that difficult. It can be a difficult conversation because people are going to come to different conclusions. But uh, uh, you know, and leaving it with this, just honor one another if you come to conclusions on this. Don't say that you know head coverings aren't for today. That's that's unacceptable. The question is, how are they for today, and what qualifies as a head covering? Okay, guys. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, Rest of your week. It's Monday, so go out and crush it this week. and I will be back Thursday with an interview. Gab TV folks, I'll be back with some videos this week um, about some other fun and interesting things. Thanks.